0: Pencils down. Good work, everyone. Who can tell me the name of that song? Girl from Eponema. Very good. Thank you, Barb. All right, uh, we're going to head into our teaching time now. We are in our third ser- third week of our series called "The Body." We are going to do Q and A after the message. So if you have a question, you can t- uh, text it to that phone number, or you can write a question down on the Ask Pastor Brad card in uh, your seat back pocket. And why don't I pray before we go any further? Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together uh, in the presence of your Spirit that is guiding us and wants to open our eyes to truth. We pray, Lord, that you would give us what we need right now uh, to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would help me only say what you want me to say. I pray, God, you'd make me articulate and, and clear And I pray, God, that what we do right now would bring glory to Yourself and that we would actually uh, receive these truths and find great joy in Your giving them to us and us living them out. In Your name we pray, amen. So why in the world are we doing a series on the body? Oh my goodness, it's just very simple. If you don't know why you have a body, then you will do very interesting things with your body. Uh, We kind of move and and live according to what we believe the purpose of our particular beings are. Now, there is a stream of thought within our culture that says, you and I are nothing but uh, the, the random collision of chemicals, and so there's really no purpose to our being, and so if there's no purpose, we get to define our own purpose, and we can do whatever we want. Uh, we are a church, we're specifically a Christian church, and we're a Christian church that believes um, this b- thing right here, the Bible, is God's Word, God's breathed Word. And if you're here investigating all that, welcome, welcome, welcome. That's, that's the tribe you've found yourself in right now. We are, we are a biblical people. We're trying to figure out what God's Word has to say to us because we believe it's authoritative, and He's authoritative. Now, uh, last week, we talked about some major parts of this understanding of our bodies, and I said this. I said our bodies are, first of all, image bearings, image bearing. Where, does we, where do we get that? We get that from Genesis 1. Uh, very clear in the first chapter of the whole Bible, uh, man and woman were created to be image bearers of God, to reflect God's image. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to last week's message. Within that, we also looked at Genesis 2, and we looked at the uh, idea that we are God-breathed. God's Word is God-breathed, but also humanity is God-breathed. We didn't just appear. it It is God's intervention into what He has formed that has given us our being. And In that, if God is love, if God is eternal, self-giving love, then we are designed for love. Our beings, our bodies, are designed for love. And within last week, I I added a small but important correction to what some people assume the Bible teaches. I I think it's important, and I, I talked about this. We are not souls inserted into bodies. Uh, Actually, that idea that our soul is over here and our body is over here, that's actually more a product of Greek philosophy than it is biblical theology. And to nail this whole point home well, uh, I'd like you to watch this video.
1: For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we missed the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nefesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nefesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nefesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nefesh. And if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nefesh remains. It's just called a dead nefesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. Rather, they are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death, waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nefesh. So even though nefesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves and gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nefesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body, offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nefesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience. It's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nefesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nefesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read... As the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's. But then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nefesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul.
0: Okay, so that is a lot already, but we kind of needed to get all that before we move forward into this uh, teaching this morning. What we're going to do today is reside mostly in Genesis 2. So I'm going to ask you to take a Bible, either on your phone or from your, uh, the seat in front of you, and turn to the second chapter of the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read the verses you'll see on the screen. I'll read them out loud. Please stand with me. And we do so out of respect for God's written Word. Starting with verse... 7 from Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, a Nephesh. <laughs> uh, verse 18, skipping down, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. So last week, we ended with the, uh, this idea that our body selves are designed for love. What I want to do today is focus on our, our body selves as gifts. Why? Well, because God's love gives. And if you're a note taker, go ahead and take your notes out. I think you will find it helpful, especially today, because we're going to be diving deep and it'll kind of help you follow my train of thinking here. Now, have you ever thought, why in the world did God create in the first place? It seems like a ton of effort <laughs> to deal with us. Uh, it seems like we break God's heart over and over again. And if you look through the scriptures, you see God is all, often mourning. He's like, come on, people, you're a stiff-necked people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, first John 4 over and over again it tells us that God is love this very nature is self-giving love what's more is god is three in one god is father son and spirit The Godhead is eternally living in self-giving love. The Father giving to the Son, who's giving to the Spirit, who's giving to the Father. All these the 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 Godhead is constantly living in this self-giving love. And so it is out of that self-giving love that God creates. Because that's what love does. Love always creates new possibilities. Love always creates the, the, uh, uh, the gift of next, okay? What, what sin does is sin actually gets in the way and brings an end to God's possibilities. That's a larger uh, sermon, but um, we can live with this. God's love, it flows like a river, and wherever God's love flows, it gives, so in Genesis 2, we read verse 7 Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So, like a master sculptor, here we have God who is love creating because love gives. Thus, your body is a gift designed for giving. Your body is a gift designed for giving. Now, let's talk of, for just a second about the nature of a gift. What is the nature of, of a gift? Well, a gift requires a giver and a receiver, right? If I bring you a gift, you unwrap it, and then I say, you, that costs 10 bucks, you owe me 10 bucks. Well, it's not really a gift anymore, is it? And I'm not really a very good giver because I'm asking you to pay for the gift. No, a gift is that which is, which is something you did not provide, It was given to you. In creation, in the creation of you, God, in His love, gave you a you. Without God, there's no you. There's no me. We are a product of the very nature of God's love. But God's giving, of course, didn't stop there. Out of His love and in His image, God created Adam, Adam. But the gift... Adam was was incomplete without the ability for Adam to give to. In God's creation of Adam, He created a gift that was designed to be a giver, a gift designed to be given. And if you look at how the story unfolds, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Why is it not good? Because the gift is can't give without another to receive. So God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So out of the ground, uh, which is interesting because God forms in in the text, God forms uh, the man out of the ground. He forms the the animals out of the ground as well. So out of the ground, um, the animals are formed. They're brought to Adam. And while that was good... And the animals were a gift as well, of course, I mean, because who doesn't love kitty cats? Which is a take on last week, because last week I disrespected kitty cats, and I'm very sorry for all the cat lovers. I just want you to know, I know God made kitty cats. Um, But with all of these animals, the text says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Now, just so you know, I don't know if you know part of this, but that particular text and different texts surrounding it um, get a little get people a little wound up in our culture because it seems like there's kind of this gender power play going on. You know, well, God formed the, the man first. That doesn't seem right. And you know, this, the woman's only taken out of the man. No, 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 no. Okay, time out. I wonder if we can see this text in light of God's giving. All right? So God gives and a man is born. God gives and a woman is born. Here we have Adam. No other body yet formed is sufficient to end the not good of Adam being alone. So the one who is self giving, God, orchestrates Adam's giving of his self. He gives a part of his being for the other. The, the choice of the word rib here is really interesting, I found this week in, in, in studying it. That word is uh, the Hebrew word sileh, and that word actually does not exist. As, is not translated as rib anywhere else in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. How is it translated? It's translated as architectural support. <laughs> so, in, uh, in the rest of the Old Testament, the, the, this Hebrew word seleh refers to beams or structures that are, that are leaning against each other, creating architectural support for things like an ark for things like the temple. Now, isn't that interesting? We think rib, okay, God just chose a random bone and, you know, boom, there's a woman. (laughs) That's not the way it is at all. What the text is telling us is God took part of Adam's rib cage, which is an architectural supportive place for Adam's being, and he creates a physical other, a beloved who will be part of the architectural support that will support the architecture of all humanity. So these are two beings leaning into each other, like in a rib cage, like in the beams of a cathedral or a, or a church or an ark, and they're, they're, they're there for the architectural support of all humanity. Thus, with the creation of the woman in the story, we can say... The beloved is a gift designed to be received. Okay? Again, think if if, if I'm going to create an arch, I need to give my weight, and the other has to give their weight to create this arch of support. The giver is designed to be a part of the receiving, the receiving part of the giving. So you have this constant leaning into to create this support system. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, and I love this, in other translations it says, at last, <laughs> I'm sick of the cats. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he says, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now one of the things I love here is this is filled with all kinds of body language. We want to make the Bible all about the spiritual stuff. This is all physical stuff. Here we have flesh and bone. This is the thing he's so excited about. This is another being. She is real. She is flesh and she is bone. Now what's interesting too here is the way these two are going to come to know each other. And the language, there's a word play in the, in the language of Genesis 2 that's helpful. We talked last week about how the ground in Hebrew is Adama. What is, Ad, Adam, what is Adam's name? Adam. That's the Adama. He was formed out of the Adama, and the Scriptures call him Adam. So the relationship is physical. That's physical being. Here's my physical being. My, I'm coming to understand myself in relationship to that. I'm born out of that, Genesis 2. But then, as we move through the rest of the chapter, Adam is not referred to Adam as Adam, he's referred to as Is, And the woman is Isa. So here, he's finding his relationship. Who am I? Okay, I'm formed from that, but I'm, okay, Adam, wait. Different. Not that, not that, but like that, complementary, clearly, (laughs) complementary beings together, both made in the image of God. The understanding of the self, just so you know this, um, God has brought us together as physical beings because you help me understand something about me. And I help you understand something about you. And it's not just the stuff I think and the stuff I feel. It is actually my physical being. Because my physical being, my nefesh, <laughs> is, is me. And your physical being, your nefesh, is you. And we come to understand each other together. And there's more to that. We'll, we'll get there in just a second. Um, now, in verse eighteen, there's. There's. Uh, I want to go back to where we were last week and, and say one more thing here. The Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." And the Hebrew phrase there is "azer kenegdo." We talked last week about that word "azer," helper, is not really uh, does not mean uh, chief cook and bottle washer. Uh, actually, uh, that word "azer," helper, is a word that God uses. Uh, for himself, later in the Scriptures, in relationship to his relationship to Israel. And so, azer can't mean less than. And, and interpreters have always done, made a mistake in interpreting helper as less than. Also, though, if we look at the next word, kinegdo, kinegdo literally means uh, to stand face to face with another. And so the image here in the text is woman and man on the same level face to face with each other, looking each other in the eye as image bearers, as gift given to, giver, to receiver, gift given to receiver. And because they have each other as reflections of God, they are compelled to move beyond themselves and know each other from the giving and the receiving of each other. And in so doing uh, so, they will give to each other in complete transparency, for love gives without hiding. What do I mean here? Well, there's this curious phrase uh, in verse 25 that always made my third grade class chuckle. Uh, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Why did they feel no shame? Because they had nothing to hide. There was no reason to hide. They lived in complete transparency in the giving and receiving. There was was no ulterior motive, no reason to, to hide from each other, no reason to say, you know, I'm just giving you this gift because I really want to manipulate you and do this. If I was to give you a gift to manipulate you, what would I do? I would have to hide my motive. But there's no hiding here. Because there's the free giving and receiving of each other. And this is complete freedom. People think, you know, the complete freedom is the freedom to choose to do anything I would ever want to do. That's not freedom. That, that, we know when people go down that route, they actually end up in bondage. True freedom is the freedom to always pursue good. That is pure Freedom. Oh my goodness, what a gift. And this is what they are living in right now. And isn't it interesting? This eternal truth that God is trying to get across to His people, it's all explained using bodies. Hmm. I'm going to close with this. There's a centuries-old tradition in Jewish weddings. It's called the hupa. The is it's a simple cloth draped upon four different poles under which the bride and bridegroom uh, stand in the wedding. Genesis 2, interestingly, ends with a quote, with a, with a verse about marriage. "'That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh.'" We're going to talk more about that as we move through this series, but for now, I just want you to have this image of the hoopa and this, this bride and this groom underneath the hoopah. Now, in a Jewish wedding, the chuppah stands for a number of different things. One, it stands for the home of the couple, and in the hoopa, there are no walls. There's a covering, but there are no walls, and that's to indicate the hospitality of the couple, people can come and go from all sides. You, my home is open. Our home is open and welcome for you to enter. Secondly, there's no um, there's no uh, furniture under the hoopah, because a home isn't about the stuff. A home is about the people. But thirdly, and most profoundly, that white cloth represents the presence of God over. The covenant of marriage. The couple lives in oneness with each other, but also in oneness with God. And so, we live in a culture that's that's asking all kinds of interesting questions about how we make right decisions with bodies. I'd like to pull back even further and say, the most important question is, how do we bring all relationships under the hoopah. How do we bring all relationships under the covering of God's love and God's will? You'll see a question on the wall for the screen for you. How might you bring your relationships under the hoopah? And think about all your relationships. This is we can go beyond just uh, a husband and wife here. How do you bring? Uh, Your relationship with others as a single person under the hoopah? How do you bring your family and its relationships under the hoopah? How do you, if you are in a dating relationship, how do you bring that dating relationship under the hoopah? You see how this plays out? The real question is about how do we live. As image bearers, born from love, as gifts to each other and to the world, how do we do all that under the authority of God's love and God's will? Let's pause there for Q and A. I'm going to invite Nick up. He is going to help me. If you're new to faith, we do this quite a bit. And we always always say I reserve the right to be wrong. If you have a question, you can text it to that number. And that is going to come right here, which is not my personal phone number. Okay. Uh, okay, thank you, Char. Um. Why don't you, st- you start, just choose one of those. I don't okay. care. One of the blue ones, and I'll read this while you do that.
1: Hmm. So must I be
0: married to be complete? Uh, no. <laughs> um, no, but even though you're not married, you are always living as a, a giver to another, for the people around you, and a receiver of, of the others around you uh, under the authority of God's will and God's love. I will say for, for singleness, um, I think there is something to be learned from our Catholic brothers and sisters in, uh, who are monks or nuns who see their lives in singleness as their primary lover being Jesus. I, I think that's a helpful way to think about what it means to move forward uh, as a single person in Christ.
1: Do virtual relationship interactions, including pastors' sermons on video versus in-person, have a missing relationship dynamic? Hmm.
0: Do virtual re- relationship interactions with pastors' sermons on video versus have a missing relationship dynamic? Um. <laughs> <laughs> eh, you know i i guess um, i i i'm how do i say this ideally it's best if the physical person is there you know so it, so let's say a pastor uh i have friends who do um uh virtual preaching you know they'll preach and that, that's then broadcast to other places. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's helpful. I think it's helpful in that you can see the person's expressions and so forth. The only hard part is um, that pastor is not always able to, to kind of interact with what is happening, you know, as you're listening to his or her message in Cancun on the beach, you know, feeling guilty you're not in church that Sunday morning. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't sweat that, ideally, I think, Uh, It's best when we're all together.
1: Is the spirit different than the soul? If the soul does not separate from the body, how could one be visited by the spirit of another and have a conversation without them physically being there?
0: Yeah, and and, uh, so with that we have, okay, what do we do with the passage? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In addition, there is a passage about second coming of Christ that says, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and uh, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the, in the air. All right, that's like a lot of questions, um, but all kind of generated around the same theme. Um, and so I would say the, the, the uh, that Hebrew word nephesh, um, which is, so the Old Testament is written uh, in Hebrew. The New Testament is written mostly in Greek. But the New Testament is also written by Hebrews, and by Jews. And so it's the influence of the Hebrew language and Hebrew thinking upon the New Testament. Can't, you can't separate that. Um, I would say... The idea of your nefesh as a, your, your soul, your spirit being your being is, is the best way to think about what is with the Lord. But I, I want to, and with that, um, let me explain it this way. With that, we need to remember that our, our eternity is physical, okay? A lot of Christians think our, our eternity is not physical, it is physical, new bodies, new heavens, new earth, <laughs> okay? And so the question really is, okay, we have this physical being now that is unified. It dies, a, a, a dead nephesh is what the, the um, video referred to. What, what's happening in the meantime between this here and uh, new, new body, resurrection, um, and what's interesting is the Scriptures aren't clear. I, I wish I could say, well, I'm going to give you this verse right here and it's going to explain it all. It, as I even said in the video, it's, it doesn't talk a lot about what we would call an intermediate state. Um, we're going to talk more as we get move through this series. And by the way, this series is going to go a while. Um, about what it means um, after death. What it means to have resurrected bodies and all that—I would say the best way to think about your being is it is designed to be eternally unified. There will be an eternal you. There's a now you. There's an eternal you. Um, those are both physical. Another great way to think about what it's what your eternal life with your eternal life is going to look like is look at the resurrected Jesus, okay? Who is uh, the second Adam? Uh, uh, of uh, the, the first fruits of the harvest that's to come, so we are all following in the footsteps eternally, according to the resurrected Jesus. We're, follow, we're moving his way. all right? Um, let's do uh, yeah, we've got time. <laughs> do, give us do two more. I'm going to do okay. one more, and then we'll do this one. What do we say to the person who claims that no one depends on them? No one depends on them? I, I don't, I, you know, I wish I had an answer, but I, it would, I would have to know the context of the person who was saying no one depends on them. Um, I, I do know, uh, I'm going to couple this with another question I, that I saw in there. Um, what about the autonomy of the body? I don't know if you, you've heard that phrase at all, um, people, people will, will use that, that those two words, autonomy, body together and um, you know I have certain rights over my body okay and um, so I have, an, I, I have my autonomy of my body and um, I'm going to get to that question, just hang with me for a second um, as we saw from the narrative the Um, it's not my body. (laughs) you're like, it's my body. I would say we have responsibility for our bodies. But this is not my body. It's not Nick's body, okay? We are God's body. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so um, the responsibility is first and foremost to God. Okay, I have responsibility to use my body in relationship to God's will and God's love, but to think that I have an autonomous body that does not have uh, there, there aren't ramifications to the decisions I make with this body in the in larger humanity, it, that's not real. No one we're not. No one here is living in a cave, um, and even if you live in a cave, your absence is uh, having an impact on. Uh, The community. So, um, my guess is, no one depends on me. Trust me, Uh, people. You are influencing others, uh, for good or ill, whether you like it or not, just by your very presence uh, on this planet. Uh, We are all making a difference. You you go, uh, watch. It's a, it's a wonderful life. I don't, I don't mean to be uh, flippant about that, but um, there is not a person on this planet who is not making a footprint and having an impact. And um, so we all, we all are making a difference. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this question and then we'll be done. Nick, you may, you may have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Um, someone in the first service asked about, you know, what, is, what does this mean when it comes, all this body talk, what, where is this, what does this mean when it comes to uh, human sexuality questions? Um, and... What I'm going to say regarding that is, is right now I'm just going to say um, we're going to talk more about that to come, okay? So if you have a lot of those questions, that's all coming. Um, and I would say be patient and go on this journey and let's see what God's Word says to us along this journey. If we go on that journey together, we'll, we'll better be able to talk about the real hot topic stuff in our culture, okay? So just hang tight on all that. Uh, You can keep sending me those questions over the next many weeks. I probably won't answer many of them because I know we're going to talk about those things to come, all right? Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for uh, these bodies, these beings. We're grateful for each nefesh, Lord, uh, we're thankful for the God-breathed life we have. We're thankful for the gift that is us and the gift that is other. All made in your image. Lord, give us eyes to see me, <laughs> each other. Give us eyes to see what it means to be a community of image bearers. God, we so want to bring everything under the hoopah. Often we don't know how, and so we pray your spirit would fill us and that we would move in your leadership all things under your loving will and presence. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, you can take your census that you filled out and put, give it to the usher as they leave. They'll have a little basket there. I'm going to ask, uh, we're not just leaving just yet. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to, uh, if you have a prayer need, come on down front. People would love to pray for you. I'll close with this charge. You'll see it on the screen. So go now. Faith Covenant Church, go now not as accidents without purpose, but put one foot in front of the other as image bearers of the living God. He is the Word in flesh and bones, and we the church, His body. Take the Word you've heard with real ears and the truth you've processed in fleshy brain. Put breath to vocal cords and give voice to God's love. So when people see you, they see Jesus with skin on In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go now in peace.